and we're back for part two. We are, yay. Detroit Strange, <laughs> we did it. in case you didn't realize. Yeah, this podcast. This podcast. With Alex over there. And Jess over there. And we're here now. Yeah. In your ears. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. With hot toddies. We are with hot toddies. We got drinks for once. I feel mm-hmm. like we forget sometimes, but we got I the mean, hot toddies. Again, when the mood strikes, it strikes, and if it doesn't, right. it doesn't. And it's wintertime, and it's cold. It's and cold. We're in my basement, and there's love. We have to, unfortunately, have to turn the space here off while we are recording. Yeah. So we got hot beverages. Yeah, to compensate. Exactly. But we got stuff to talk about. <laughs> we got things, and we're doing... Things and stuff. We got and, things and stuff for reasons. You know, agendas and... yeah. Very, very serious yes. here on Detroit Strange. Yes. Yes. RuPaul's 12 months of drag, as I'm calling it. Uh, Agenda because, item number one is what I'm calling it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, season 14 of Drag Race started this week. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of exciting because this is the first season with the Michigan Queen. That's awesome. Yeah. Her name's Orion Story, which I don't love the name. Like the constellation, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. like, mm-hmm. it's just nice that there's a Michigan queen. Yeah. She like does a great job. Okay. She made a bold choice for the first episode. Okay. And I love a bold choice. We love a bold choice, but yeah. as we know with bold choices, sometimes they don't always pan out. Yeah. But you know, I love the, um, the, the, yeah. Attempts. It's, it's not really a spoiler. I'll throw a spoiler out there, but it's just kind of like, so the first episode, they do a mm-hmm. talent show, which is what they usually do for All-Stars. I think it's interesting they're doing it for a regular season, but mm-hmm. it's hard when everyone else is doing like a mega mix dance number and you come out and try and do like a one-person comedy sketch by yourself. Comedy is hard to do a variety show like that. Yeah. 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 So I commend her for trying it. I'm not sure it panned out how she wanted it to. Yeah. And that's all oh, I'll say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, like, it's cool that a Grand Rapids queen made it, and there is some great great drag in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. I went to school with a queen named Ginger Ambrosia out there, who I think That's still does fun. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Representation for the mitten. I love I had that. to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have nothing mitten-related. I just have music from Encanto in my head Fair. on repeat. You yeah you were mentioning that that's a that's Disney right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's like the new. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, though, because it's, like, a very layered story. The, and there's a lot like, to yeah. read into it. Like, there's a lot that you can really dive into and kind of... There's a lot of theories out there uh, about certain aspects of it. And I find that interesting that it, it's yeah. got so much to, uh, I don't know, just, like, look at and think about and develop thoughts and theories about. Yeah, I feel like Disney has been kind of like the most, I feel like a lot of their most recent movies have kind of like, they've really been stepping it up in the storytelling department. Not that they were ever yeah. bad at it, but they were kind of just like, let's add another layer. Yeah. No, I think I think so too. And I think they've been hitting a lot of things that I think people have been starting to think about or yeah. talk about more openly. And I think that's great. I wish I could get into them more because I feel okay. like with animated movies, I feel like I, like someone's really got to push me. And it's weird because I used to love animated movies. But I, I just yeah. like, I don't know. Like the ones I like, I like, but it's just kind of like even like the ones I like, I don't watch a ton. Yeah. I mean, I haven't rewatched one in a long time. I did you watch, watch this it, one twice. I you, did watch yeah. this one twice. I probably Which does watch like it make thrice. me want to watch a little bit, but I, we'll see if it actually, ha- maybe it'll be like a mm. movie that we put on and like 
Because me and Jess, other Jess have been doing like De- Disney watch parties because mm-hmm. they have like a synchronized oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. We've been doing that. I mean, invite Stardew me Valley. if you guys watch content. Absolutely, because, yeah. And it's one of those things too. The music's really good. And the first time I, I watched it, I thought it was good, but it really grows on you too. Yeah. And now I'm like into it. Yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda did a, yeah. a nice job. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did he do this one? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. The story, the story is very interesting and it's got a lot to it in yeah. a um, very nice way. Love it. Yeah. Meanwhile, like we've been watching, like we watched like the Leslie McGuire movie. We've been working with the <laughs> DCOMs too, like the Disney Channel original movies. Uh-huh. It was interesting because like, because we play Stardew Valley, but we're watching too, which is like a little like farm kind of game. Like you, uh-huh. like you have a farm, you go through the caves and stuff. I don't know. But like, we decided to watch Eddie's Million Dollar Cook-Off. I don't which, know what that is. It was like mid-2000s Disney Channel original movie. And it was about okay. this like, just, it was so interesting watching it this many years later because it was one of my favorites because it was like about a boy who learns how to cook and decides that he likes oh, cooking. Okay. But he's garbage at it. Like, oh, like he's a baseball player and his dad's like, you're going to be a baseball player. You got to play baseball. And he's like, but I want to learn how to cook too. And he's mm. like, what are you, Eddie Crocker? Oh, and then oh like, hilarious. They give, yeah, they all give him shit for cooking and it's like, you're eating it though. You're fucking eating it. Don't make fun of people who make food because they won't give you it. That's okay. what I've learned. If I don't make fun of you for fucking bacon, they don't get me. Yeah. Not yeah. that it's happened in a long time, but like, <laughs> it was just like watching it now. I was like, oh, I see what I connected with in this movie because uh-huh. there's some subtext, <laughs> mm-hmm. very not subtle <laughs> subtext. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, because <laughs> even Jess made a comment of like, this was really getting to you, isn't it? I'm like, it sure is. It sure <laughs> fucking is. Just like I can't with these with these people. This movie. Yeah, I mean, some movies do that. Some movies hit. Yeah, very personally. And but like he's known for Eddie dogs, which is just like he takes hot dogs and just puts a bunch of random shit on them. Like that's not fucking cooking. No, that's a I mean, like food. I don't, I don't mind when that like uh, UFO factory in Corktown. Yeah, they got they got. I don't dogs, mind a fancy hot dog, but don't stuff, tell yeah. me you're a culinary expert because you fucking threw French onions on a hot dog. Oh no 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 yeah yeah yeah. It can be delicious, but it's not. I was just all around salty for like. I, apparently, yeah. That's I mean, and that's fine. But it was a fun watch because of it. Because <laughs> I was just sitting here roast. I love just hate watching can be fun. Absolutely, I love just yeah. roasting a movie while it's on. You know. Yeah, I think that's why I watch all those you know Hallmark movies over the holidays. Like it's oh, the yeah. same thing of like, I love to hate them. Right. So, <laughs> decoms. <laughs> I didn't know there was a term for that. So thank you for. It's the acronym Disney Channel Teaching Original Movies. Teaching an old movies. dog new tricks. Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch a Disney Channel movie. Do you remember that? The song no. at least? Okay. They, every, before they started them, they would play a song every time. I think I'm a little old for that. Only Fair. because like they, they had ha- Disney Channel movies, but there was not, it wasn't. It was, they weren't branding it as hard. No, it was just, here's a movie on the Disney Channel. Right. And I actually had the Disney Channel, which I'm shocked by and did watch a lot of things on there. But I think by the time that rolled around, I was in my no Disney channel phase. So it was easier for me to like not have as much of a no Disney channel phase because I had a younger sister. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of like, even if I wasn't like purposely watching the Disney channel. You would by association see. Right. Yeah. It was, I remember growing up to the fight over the TV as well as like, (laughs) we'd be getting home and one of us wanted to watch one thing and one of us wanted to watch the other thing. Mm -hmm. And we were just like bolting like. Who could get the pajamas on the fastest and go sit in front of the TV so they could be in charge of what they're watching? Mm-hmm. 
I didn't have that problem. Yeah. Actually, no, with my mom, maybe. It was just, actually, it was just sci-fi. Who am I joking? If my mom was in the room, it was sci-fi channel. I love that. Much. Yeah. Uh, and I know very little about sci-fi programming, actually, which is interesting. Yeah. I purposely tuned a lot of it out as a young person. I, like, there was one show on the sci-fi network that I remember watching growing up called Eureka. Okay. Do you remember that one? I rem- I Vaguely? Yes. I could not tell you a thing about it, but I remember seeing it. It was kind of like that makes sense. the whole premise was that there's like this secret town in the middle of a flat state somewhere okay. where like it's all geniuses trying to like R&D the future. OK, and That's this, com- this is coming back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but like the main character is like this average Joe sheriff who's just like a really good sheriff. And so yeah. he stumbles upon the town and like saves them from some nonsense. He's like, hey, you want to be the sheriff? He's like, sure. Okay. So him and his normie daughter moved to the town. No, I do remember this yeah. show. Actually, I think I liked this show. It was a good show. Yeah. I liked it. Like the company was called like Global Dynamics, something like that. Something, like, yeah. Like a whole town worked there. They all did R&D, but there's always like some kind of kooky sci-fi stuff happening because there was all these mad scientists. I think, yeah, I think I might have even been the one to like seek that show out. I don't even think that was one of I my I mean, the shows. sheriff was cute. I think so I watched that. That helped. Or, or just watched it with her. Yeah. No, like she, I mean, she watched a lot of things I can't even remember the names of, but I mean, the main things I remember that I would kind of watch with her, these aren't sci-fi, but I would watch like Xena, Warrior Princess. Okay. Um, And also the other one. I don't know the if The Kevin one. Sorbo one. Okay. Hercules? Thank you. Hercules. Okay. <laughs> it's like the man Xena, but that's not. Weird callback to that Hercules. When I was researching Henry Cavill for the Two Truths and a Lie last week, they said they two based... Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. That they based Henry Cavill's body for Superman off of Kevin Sorbo. Sorb, what? I think it's Sorbo. Sorbo, yeah. Sorbet. No, it's yeah. not Sorbet. Uh, that's what I wanted to say, but it's Kevin Sorbo. They based on like Kevin Sorbo's physique from Hercules. They're like, we want okay. Henry Cavill to look like that. Interesting. I mean, it was a very specific... Thing, so I guess that makes sense. He really had to beef up for that movie, which doing the Lord's work. I, mm. He's built like a shit, <laughs> a brick shit house, and I love that. You know, I don't know. I like him kind of soft. Uh, I mean, I don't mind him not, but like, oh yeah, no. For me, it's just I like him burly. I like him big and burly. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, be that muscle or soft. Stare off in the distance. <laughs> yeah. No, the, and then the only other. Like sci-fi show I remember is well my mom watched the Highlander a lot but I didn't pay attention and then also Quantum Leap I watched Quantum Leap I don't I even know if you know what that, that is one. I know I've, okay. I've definitely I've definitely heard of it I remember like looking it up for something it's probably trivia or something mm-hmm. basically the main character would like jump through time into and then he would like be another person okay but there was this like guy like this helper guy who would kind of help him and he was always kind of stepping into this other person's life to like help them in some way, shape or form. Uh-huh. And so like he'd get to like know their personal, you know, sphere of people and yeah. this and this and that. I don't remember why he did that, He, <laughs> but that's what was happening. He had to do something. Yeah. Like it, sci-fi was not like a network. I, it was one that I passed often because like it was in the fifties channels for us. So like, like 57 was Disney, 58 was Cartoon Network, 59 was Nickelodeon. Those okay. were like the, that yeah. was like the holy trinity around that yeah. right there. I mean, I don't know if any of those shows were actually sci-fi shows. because I, I think Quantum Leap is. Was it? Okay. I literally tuned out a lot of sci-fi channel. Yeah. I don't know why. I have nothing against it. I just did as a child. I get it. Yeah. 
But anyway, go on. That yeah. that was your exposure was just yeah, channel yeah. surfing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. My fifty five was Comedy Central. I still remember all these channels. Fifty five was M T V for me. Really? Mm-hmm. That was sixty four for us. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That just popped in my head. I would not have been able to pull that out. It's interesting to like, think because like I haven't had cable since high and 54 school. 54 was VH1. Yeah. I remember because they were in a row. Yeah. yeah. I, I think 63 was VH1 for us. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They probably kept them. Why were they even different though to begin with? You know what I mean? Like, right. Because they're the same company, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Because like Drag Race is on VH1, but like the thing at the beginning was MTV. Yeah. MTV Studios. Mm-hmm. With the little astronaut guy in the flag. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Television. Am I right? Television. But they didn't have television back in the day when we could pick up our story. <gasps> and I'll do a quick recap on what we've covered so far. Sure. Previously on Detroit Strange, <laughs> we talked about John Harvey Kellogg, 1 of 17. Uh, his parents helped found the Seventh-day Adventist church with Mother Mother Ellen because the great disappointment happened. Jesus did not come back, but it was just the prejudgment. John Harvey, sickly kid, but then he learned how to read in his teens and like, wow, he's smart. Wanted to be a teacher. Mother White's like, no, go to medical school. He went to water school in New Jersey for a bit, six months, and then went to actual medical school. Then he started running the sands and doing crazy shit. Yeah. And that's about it. Okay. Let's get to it. Quick and dirty uh, catch up there. And now we're kind of, we're going to start with the breakup. Bye-bye between Mother White and the Seventh Adventist Church Mm -hmm. and John Harvey Kellogg. Okay. So let's talk about Mother White at first because she was the one who started what's now known as the San. So let's see how she's feeling about it. Mm -hmm. Not happy. I mean, I can imagine she didn't seem like she liked to yeah. have other people doing things. Yeah. So she was like, despite the success of the sand, she was like, no, she thought it had become more of a resort hotel than the modest institute she had envisioned. And then John Harvey, on the other hand, was not pleased with her and the church's meddling. He had ideas, but ideas cost money and the money came from the church. So most of the ideas were just straight up shot down. Oh, okay. So friction there. Yeah. But John Harvey would luck out in 1897 when the original 30-year charter for the SAN was up. And so the court basically gave him the SAN and he formed a new organization called the Michigan Sanitarium and Benevolent Association and designated the SAN as a nonprofit and benevolent corp. Okay. Short for corporation. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Not corpse. Yeah. <laughs> But because of this like designation, the new organization had to be non-denominational as per state law. Okay. So he basically like used this charter coming up to steal control of the sand and make it so it had to be non-denominational. Basically, like, forcibly cut out the Seventh Day Adventists using the law. Okay. So Mother White obviously pissed about this. Yeah. And she tried to take matters into her own hands. Okay. In 1898, the sanitarium health food company owned by John Harvey burned the fuck to the ground under suspicious circumstances. In 1900, the Sanitas Food Company owned by John Harvey and his brother Will burned down. Again, Mm -hmm. under suspicious circumstances. How weird. Yeah. (laughs) In 1902, the sand itself would be set afire. (gasps) Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
And this was kind of like real dirty, a big one, because this is when all I started to really shift towards Mother White being the culprit. Mm -hmm. At the time, there were 307 patients (gasps) and the fire had started in the pharmacy in the basement. Firefighters were there within minutes, thankfully, and they put out the fire in the pharmacy and like, whoa, we did it. Thank God. But then the ground they were standing on started to get soft and warm. Uh And some of the firefighters even ended up getting waist deep in the stuff. The cause? The fire had spread to the underground tunnels. And how do you fight a fire underground? You don't. Uh So... Thankfully, most of the patients made it out okay thanks to the staff. One woman did break her leg jumping from the sixth floor window onto an adjoining building where she was rescued. Mm -hmm. There was one reported death of an 86-year-old man by the name of Abner Case. Okay. He was staying on the fourth floor with his wife and daughter while he was being treated for chronic dyspepsia, otherwise known as indigestion. Mm. Fun fact, like Pepsi, you can find, obviously here, dyspepsia, Pepsi. Yeah. Pepsi gets its name from pepsin, which is a stomach protein that helps in digestion. Okay. There's your random fact of the day. Ooh. So he came in for chronic indigestion. Uh, his wife and his daughter heard the alarm and tried to wake Abner, but he was disoriented and unable to grasp the severity of the situation and mm-hmm. suggested they kneel and pray instead. Oh, great no, solution. Fire. Let's pray. Yeah. So the wife and daughter had no choice but to leave him Aww. in the building. Like, they could not convince him to come out. Yeah. But and so they had gotten out safely and were understandably distraught about like their husband and father being left in the building. And so a staff doctor actually ended up running back into the building to save him. And he managed to convince him to leave and got him like so close to an exit. At the last minute, Abner decided to run back in. (gasps) And because it was it was like he decided to run back in and it was thought that he had forgotten a bag of cash he had hidden in his room. And that was the last that I ever saw him. Oh, sir. No. Yeah. Ugh. So never seen again. Ugh. And so obviously three fires. You'd think that they'd be like something fishy. Yeah. That was not the end of mm. the fires. Oh. <gasps> So after the sand burned down, John Harvey was like, this sucks, but you know what? Just a chance to rebuild everything bigger and better than it was. And so he starts doing that. Ten months after the fire at the sand, though, the Review and Herald Publishing House, which was owned by the Seventh-day Adventist, but run by John Harvey, burned down. Oh. And this is when people were like, it's gotta be Mother White because she's salty as hell. Yeah. And like... Especially because it wasn't a secret that she thought the sand was becoming less godlike and too big for its britches. And she held similar opinions about the publishing house as well. Which was interesting because the publishing house had started as a way for her to publish her magazine and pamphlets about the Seventh-day Adventists. Okay. But it recently turned more to publishing John Harvey's books because he, of course, became an author with all these like crazy Theories movements. and ideas. Yeah. And-, and it actually like, because of this, became the biggest publishing house of the state at the time. Oh. And the timing of the fire was no coincidence either because they had just published John Harvey's book, The Living Temple, which the Seventh-day Adventist Church saw as hearsay. Ah. Also worth mentioning that the day the publishing house was burned down, there was a fire inspection that morning where not a single violation or fire hazard was found. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so more than a little sus. Yeah. 
Another motive Mother White had to burn down all these buildings was because God told her so. This bitch. Yeah. I mean, like. Yeah. (laughs) She apparently had a vision around 1882 where she was warned by God that her and her followers should scatter. She was also worried that Battle Creek was becoming the Vatican City of the Seventh-day Adventists, which it kind of was. Mm -hmm. It was the headquarters of the church and the sand in the publishing house before the fires were the city's biggest enterprises and both under church control. Mm -hmm. With both of them gone, Mother White moved, like Mother White had moved, like moved away during all this time too. She like moved. Oh, okay. And she's like, gotta go. And so now that like, the sands burned down, publishing house burned down, Mother White's gone. They moved the headquarters of the church to Maryland. Oh. Yeah. Which is weird because I don't think she moved to Maryland. She moved to California, I think. I can't remember exactly, but she moved away. Okay. They were just like, we have to GTFO from here. Yeah, probably because once you've burned down four buildings, fingers mm-hmm. start getting pointed. <laughs> but the most damning evidence against her would come from herself. Oh. Yeah. After the publishing house fire, she gave the following statement. Quote, I have seen an angel standing with a sword as a fire stretched over Battle Creek. It seemed as if the sword of flame were turning first in one way and then another. Disaster seemed to follow disaster because God was dishonored by devising men to exalt and glorify themselves. Oh. Yeah. Gross. Yep. So... Most likely, this is probably out of jealousy and kind of rightfully so because everything she started was then kind of taken over by John Harvey and turned on his head mm-hmm. and he took her followers. But, you know, for the followers she had left, she had reportedly told them, quote, Those buildings will burn. Dr. Kellogg has an imperious will that needs to be broken. Wow, salty. Yeah, like a real mystery how she felt, you yeah. know, what she was doing. Now we're going to focus a little bit on the rebuilding of the sand because John Harvey set out to rebuild and rebuild. He did Mm -hmm. the church denied the funding for the proposed new structure. So John Harvey turned to other investors because of course they weren't going to invest in a new sand because they had burned it down. Yeah. So allegedly, you know, it was Mm -hmm. never proven, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) so he was like, fine, I don't need you. I'll find other investors. Mm -hmm. And many cities like rose to the occasion. They were just like, Yes, we want our own sanitarium. Come here. We'll give you the money. And Battle Creek was like, no, 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 no. We cannot lose out on all that tourist money because what the fuck else are people coming to Battle Creek for in the 1800s, you know? Yeah. So they were like, we'll help fund the new facility via loans and donations. And that's what happened. Okay. A GoFundMe. Exactly. So the facility that actually ended up happening was massive and state-of-the-art. State-of-the-art as per John Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. So it was six stories tall, 400 guest rooms. Wow. Uh, The North Wing was for men and the South Wing was for women. And that was the only segregation. It didn't segregate by race, which was kind of rare at the time as well, too. It was just kind of like men on one side, women on the other. Mm -hmm. There was a gymnasium that contained things like mechanical horses and camels. For what? I don't know. Camels? Yeah. Right? (laughs) Like, who's heard of a mechanical camel? Yeah. I mean, horses is weird, too, but like... I've heard of a mechanical elephant because Cher rode one in her show that I saw. Okay. Uh, but I've heard camel? of a mechanical bull. Yeah. <laughs> if you needed a mechanical camel, the Sam was your place. Okay. They also had kneading machines to stimulate, quote, the crippled colon and also had 
an array of John Harvey's contraptions because okay. he's, yeah. you know, doing nonsense. It's his thing. And of course, there was a state-of-the-art sanctum santorum, otherwise known as an enema room. Oh, okay. Of course, he had to give it such a fancy name because he fucking loved them. Yeah. So, like I said, that wasn't the last fire. Weeks before the building was set to open, another fire struck, this time in the stables of the facility. Wow. The fire resulted in the death of 13 horses and one charity patient. Those poor horses. Because, like, uh, also on top of the... Because, like I said, it was a lot of high-profile people, but he also... Like, it was the well-to-do and also charity patients. So, like, people like, oh, you could use this treatment or kind of like. So, it wasn't just the rich. Yeah. Okay. But that wasn't the last fire. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I forgot to mention this earlier, but John Harvey, well, he didn't have sex or any biological children. He fostered a lot of kids. Okay. Like, I think 42. Wow. Yeah. he. I think he fostered 42 permanently or, like, officially adopting eight of them. Wow. And towards the end of the 19th century, the rate of which he was being asked to foster children was too much for him to handle. So an orphanage was suggested. Mm-hmm. $30,000 was donated from a Caroline Haskell, who was a widow from Indiana who was staying at the sand. She gave the money under the condition that the place be named for her late husband. So it was mm-hmm. called the Haskell House. Mm-hmm. And on January 25th, 1984, an orphanage with a capacity of 150 was dedicated and opened. And this was still when the Seventh-day Adventists were in town. So it was run by the Seventh-day Adventists because they were still still kind of getting along at this point. Okay. In 1907, however, in a move that shocked nobody, John Harvey was excommunicated from the Seventh-day Adventist church. Mm, Yeah. The orphanage was included in this excommunication, and instead of shutting down like Mother White had wanted, John Harvey was like, no, this is a good thing. I'll keep it going. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Seventh-day Adventist was like, we're going to, we're not taking, like, orphanage, not ours anymore. Yeah, okay. And John Harvey was like, Uh, we're still going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But on February 5th, 1909, the orphanage caught fire. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah. So, like I mentioned, it had the capacity for 150, but luckily there was only 37 there staying at the time, but there were still casualties. Uh. The perspective of 15-year-old Mary Armstrong, who awoke with smoke in the girls' dormitory, she found both the stairs and fire escape blocked by fire. At this point, she then noticed one of her brothers out the window, James, on the ground below. He had Mm. jumped from the third floor onto a shed and had made it down safely. So Mary broke the window and was like, let's get these kids to safety and started helping as many as they could down from this path of like here. And then he, so basically like she was literally throwing the kids out the window to her brother who was standing on top of the shed to catch them. Wow. And so they did this with a lot of the young ones. So that the younger girls were thrown by Mary to James, who was on top of the shed mm-hmm. so they could get to safety. The older girls who were too large to be thrown or caught jumped themselves with James helping them land safely as he could. Okay. Unfortunately, Mary would miss the shed while jumping and (gasps) seriously injured her face and head and even became temporarily blind due to blisters. Wow. Like she had gotten out, but there were still people in the building at this point. One girl by the name of Cecil Countant, while trying to work up the nerve to jump, the floor gave way and she fell through. Yeah. And died, along with another girl named Lena McKay, who also fell and died. 
That's horrible. And what was sad about Lena was she was just a temporary guest at the house because her family went to Florida on vacation and she had a hand injury that needed tending to. So they're like, you stay here at the Haskell house while we go on vacation. So Mm. you're safe and taken care of. Yeah. Um, Also, another child by by the name of George Goodenow wasn't realized missing until the couple in charge of the orphanage did a head count and realized they were one short. And it was thought that he either didn't wake up or died trying to escape. So three children died in this orphanage fire. Horrible. Yeah. In an article from the Free Press from February of 1909, it was reported that the Haskell home was the 12th building that was connected to the Seventh-day Adventist church that had gone up in flames in the past 12 years. Yeah. 12 buildings in 12 years. So of the 12, eight fires were of unknown origin, two were determined arson, and two were determined accidents of the 12 buildings that had burned. Of the 12 fires, there were five casualties, all I've mentioned before. Abner from the San, the charity patient in the stable, and the three children from the Haskell home. Mm-hmm. And the fires would come to be known as the West End fires. Okay. So if you ever heard the term West End fires, that's what this is referring to. The 12 fires started the 12 okay. buildings. I've not heard it, but now I have. Yeah. Luckily enough, though, that is the last fire in the story. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't know that I could take another one. Right. Especially because they keep getting more casualties yeah. as they go. So we're going to jump back to John Hardy for a little bit. Okay. Uh, like I had mentioned before, he did get married. It was on February 22nd of 1879. He married Ella Ervilla Eaton of New York. Mm-hmm. And the couple reportedly maintained separate bedrooms for their entire 42-year long marriage. I mean, I'm not shocked based on what you've already told me right. about them. Right. They lived together in a 20-bedroom house. But again, I think they fostered 42 children. So, okay. Well, so they it was were a big full. house. It was yeah. a full house. So, John Harvey was also kind of an eccentric dude, as evidenced by the last 10 pages of the story. Okay. But he was almost always dressed in all white, like white pants. Like white Colonel sh- Sanders. That's what I said, like a Colonel oh. Sanders type. <laughs> and his reasoning for this was it was a hygienic thing because if he were to wear dark clothes and got dirt or whatever on him. He, he wouldn't might not, know. He wouldn't know. But by wearing all white, he would see the dirt or whatever and immediately would go change. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. He was also an animal lover and res- is responsible for the comeback of black squirrels in mid-Michigan. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So he personally, he had a white cockatoo to go with his white outfit. So sometimes he would have a white bird on his shoulder. Wow. But back to the black squirrels because this yeah. is interesting and funny. So... At this time, they were almost gone from mid-Michigan because they would get hunted more often because they were easier to spot than their brown or gray counterparts. Okay. They look less like tree bark. Exactly. So John Harvey had hundreds of them shipped to the sand in 1913 and released them. Wow. Yeah. And like basically reintroduced black squirrels to the part of Michigan. Okay. Isn't that fun? Yeah. All right, let's get dark now. Okay. So something else he did and. In Uh-oh. 1906, he founded the Race Betterment Foundation. Oh, no. Yep. It was his contribution to the eugenics movement. Mm. Eugenics being the twisted thought that you could remove undesirable genes from the gene pool. And to do this, they would identify and classify those they thought were degenerate or unfit to pass along their genes. Mm. Some things they used to determine this were race, sexuality, mental fitness, financial stability, promiscuity, and disability. Mm. Yeah. Despite this, he did not consider himself a racist. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, he uh, basically used the I'm not racist, I have black friends defense, but one step further, he's like, he fo- many of the children he fostered were of color. Okay. And he also apparently did have a black friend, a neighbor by the name of Sojourner Truth. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm. She once needed a skin graft, and John Harvey gave her some of his. Okay. And so like at her death, she had a patch of white skin on one of her arms that was from John Harvey. Interesting. Yeah. See, he didn't hate people of color, but he just didn't see them as equal, which is even more racist. I, I, think. I don't, you know. Yeah. It's either way, it's problematic. So it doesn't. Right. Yeah. It's just a a racist, but other name is still a fucking racist. Oh yeah. So, oof. in 1902, he even wrote, "quote The intellectual inferiority of the Negro male to the European male is a universally acknowledged fact." No. Yeah. What an idiot. Yeah. I lifted a line from the book because I thought it was so good. Like the line after this sure. in the book was, quote, proving only that he surrounds himself with people who were just as racist as he was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So his involvement in eugenics didn't stop there, though. He was also a member of the Michigan Board of Health at this time. Okay. In 1913, he promoted Public Act 34 which was an act that authorized the sterilization of those considered to be, quote, mentally defective so they wouldn't reproduce and dirty the gene pool. Mm -hmm. This law was passed, and during the 61 years it was in place, almost 4,000 Michiganders were involuntarily sterilized because of it. Oh, my gosh. Mostly for reasons like moral degenerates, sexual deviance, epileptic, and the insane. The law wasn't repealed until 1974. Wow, that's entirely too late. Entirely. Yeah. So wait, was it one of those ones that like sat on the books but wasn't necessarily being used quite as much? I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. But four thousand people is not a small number. No. Now we're gonna go back to the sands for just a minute. So like whatever happened to it, because we haven't talked about it in a minute. No. So it wasn't the fire that broke the sand slash John Harvey's back. It was the loans and the promissory notes he took out to rebuild the sands. Mm. He had overextended himself the to get the funds. The GoFundMe didn't work? It did and it didn't. So what had happened was he overextended himself to get the funds thinking that his wealthy clients would always be rich. Okay. We all know what happened in the 20s though. Mm-hmm. The stock market crash happened and this would be the undoing of the sands. It would go bankrupt in 1933 and would be sold to the government in 1942. Okay. And we'll touch a little bit more on it, but now I want to talk about his brother, Will Kellogg. Okay. He was John Harvey's younger brother and from the start, they did not get along. It's so much worse than you think, though. Like I mentioned earlier, John Hart, or the previous episode, John Harvey was the first of the second batch of kids John Sr. had after the death of his first wife and marrying their nanny. Mm-hmm. The Kellogg parents weren't exactly what you'd call loving. John okay. Sr. was reserved and really didn't pay much attention to any of his children. And the second wife and the mother of John Harvey and Will had a favorite in John Harvey and basically gave all her attention to him, leaving the rest of the children, including Will, feeling bitter, unloved, and unworthy. Great. Yep. And that isn't to say that the Kelloggs were necessarily bad people, just bad parents. Okay. Like, apparently they were station agents for the Battle Creek's Underground Railroad, so that's kind of cool. Mm, yeah. But just shitty other kids. Yeah. Also, Will and John Harvey couldn't be more different. Where John Harvey was the charismatic, outgoing one, 
Will was the more awkward and quiet one. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Yeah. John Harvey would also physically and verbally abuse Will throughout their childhood, mm. a trend that would not remain in childhood. Mm. People thought Will was dumb. He had a hard time reading. But at the age of 20, he finally had his first eye test. And it turns out he was just really nearsighted. Oh. So he couldn't read because he couldn't see. Yeah. He needed glasses. Right. So once he got those glasses, he really started to excel. Okay. Will got married in 1880 to Ella Osborne Davis, and they got a modest home near the sand where Will took a job as his brother's assistant. Mm -hmm. John Harvey, having been the face of the sand, but Will was the one keeping things running, Mm kind of more in charge of the day-to-day. And like... They didn't get along, and they knew they didn't get along, but John Harvey knew that he could at least trust Will and thus relied on him for everything. Yeah. Like, he put Will in charge of the day-to-day at the sand and also the publishing house. Mm -hmm. John Harvey never gave Will a title despite all the work he was doing. No title. Wow. He had to work seven years before he was given a vacation. Oh, my gosh. Seven years of over 100-hour weeks. No, 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 no. He didn't even get an office until after a decade of working there. And even that was just like a glorified closet. Janitor yeah. closet. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Something about John Harvey just really had it out for his brother, despite the fact that he was like just running his facility for him. Yeah. Like he made Will shine his shoes and trim his beard every day. He would ride his bike and make Will run alongside to take notes. Oh, my gosh. So he just had like a superiority complex, yeah, it sounds like. Absolutely. Uh, he even made Will accompany him on his five biologic dumps that he had a day so he could take oh, any notes he no. had while he was in there. <laughs> yeah. I have another line to lift from the book because it was a good one. And mm-hmm. I'll cite the book at the end because it's a fabulous book. Mm-hmm. The quote, For the thousands of people who Dr. Kellogg tortured over the years with this strange contraptions and strict regimens he tortured his brother most of all oh it was really a mystery why will stayed there for 20 years working for his brother because it was not a brother to love yeah and poor working conditions too yeah Yeah. but now comes in the cereal this is where things are going to start to change for good old will Mm -hmm. so john harvey actually had the idea for cereal when he was in medical school because he wanted to Find something to make it easy and affordable breakfast food. Mm-hmm. And he was like, we'll make it happen, basically. Both Will, John Harvey, and his wife all have different stories for how cornflakes came to be. Uh-oh. John Harvey claimed the idea came to him while he was dreaming of making the flakes. He was the one to have the idea to put the boiled wheat through his wife's rolling machine, then peeled all the flakes off with a knife and baked it. Mm-hmm. His wife, John Harvey's wife, on the other hand, gave the story that she had been the one to give John Harvey the idea to roll the wheat as thin as possible, and that one day John Harvey was testing when he was called to the sand to treat a patient. In his haste, he left a batch of dough out, and when he came, by the time he came back, the dough was stale, but he rolled it and baked it anyway, and it was a cereal. It was dreams. Mm-hmm. Will's story, slightly different still. He said it was a 50-50 effort from the two brothers in the Sands kitchens. Ella was not even a factor in the story. The, the yeah. wife. Uh, he said that one Friday they decided to give up during the middle of a batch. Will wrapped the dough to store it, but they didn't come back for two days. By then the dough was a little moldy, but they rolled it and baked it anyway, and thus the flakes were born. Mm-hmm. Nothing like some moldy flakes. Yeah. Regardless of if any of the three stories are true, mm-hmm. Wheat Flake was born in 1894 with Corn Flakes coming shortly after. Okay. 
A year later, the cereal was served at the stand for the first time, and guests were nutting over it. So weird. Yeah, guests were like loving it because like, it was new and it was exciting. Yeah, I guess that's true. And it's not bad. No, it's just, just kind of like it's like kind of just like like I remember reading like he wanted something that was like not too soft but not too crunchy, not too mm. much flavor, kind of just like functional, getting the job done. Yeah, I don't think I'd like the wheat ones. Yeah. But cornflakes are fine. Yeah. So John Hardy was like, cool, a new menu item. But Will saw the potential as he was the better businessman by this point. Mm -hmm. And he was like, let's add ingredients like sugar and malt to add more flavor. But John Hardy was like, no, 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 no. We got to keep it bland so people don't touch themselves. Yeah. And he was, he didn't even want to get into the breakfast food market because he thought, he's like, I'm a serious doctor. This could tarnish my reputation. Mm -hmm. My reputation of genital mutilation and eugenics. (laughs) This could tarnish that. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Don't want to ruin that. Right. But the word got out, though, that the Kelloggs had found a way to take 60 cents of wheat and turn it into $12 with a cereal, and thus began the cereal boom. Mm-hmm. Or like the cereal gold rush, as it was called. Because kind of like, if we call back to the Better Made episode or the book by Karen D, which I sourced that book off of, mm-hmm. there was a similar boom in Detroit with potato chips. Mm-hmm. And so similar thing, but with cereal in Battle Creek. Between 1888 and 1905, more than 100 cereal companies popped up in Battle Creek. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. One of them was started by a man named Charlie Post. Mm-hmm. He was a 36-year-old patient at the Saint at the time who was wheelchair-bound and overall in bad health, but not bad enough where he couldn't steal the Kellogg's idea. <laughs> he got a demonstration of the process in the Sand's kitchen then bought some land. At first, he tried and failed to make another sanitarium. Then he switched to cereal and started copying the Kellogg's recipes and selling them under the Postum Cereal Company brand, which of course is now Post Foods. Yeah. He wouldn't have a happy ending though, as days shy of his 60th birthday, he shot himself with a shotgun <gasps> in his favorite chair. Oh wow. Yeah. I guess he pulled the toe, pulled the trigger with his toe, it said. Oh, that's yeah. A lot. Yeah. So post. Yeah. Um so John Harvey was like, eh, people are stealing my ideas, whatever. Because again, he wasn't interested in the breakfast food market. But mm-hmm. Will was pissed yeah. that people were stealing their ideas. So in 1905, Will, being completely fed up with all the bullshit his brother was giving him, he was like, he's like, I'm leaving the sand. I'll take the cereal business with me. It was perfect timing for Will because John Harvey was struggling with some of the loans he took out to rebuild the sand and he didn't see much value in the cereal business because like, the whole town's making cereal at this point. What the fuck is he going to do with it? So yeah. he just let Will have it. Mm. On February 19th of 1906, Will founded the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company. Mm-hmm. He revolutionized the mass production and marketing of food. Like just in general at this time. Like okay. he just did real well. He was able to crank out 120,000 boxes of cornflakes from his factories daily. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And this is when trouble started. I mean, like at that time. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is when trouble was starting to brew between the brothers because. Because um, <laughs> it hasn't already. Right. Oh, wait, sorry. There was one more fire. Oh. On July 4th, 1907, Will's factory burned to the ground, which <gasps> only enabled him to build back bigger and better. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in 1908, Will had decided to change the name of his company to Kellogg's Toasted Cornflake Company. Mm-hmm. 
And this is coincidentally the same year that John Harvey decided to try and start marketing his own breakfast cereal under the name Kellogg's Food Company of Battle Creek. Mm. Will, obviously pissed at this because he had paid a lot of money to use that name with like, you know, whatever the legal things are for that. Yeah. And his brother was not only copying that, but also like really using the same kind of packaging and even the same Kellogg signature on the box. Wow. There just wasn't enough room in Battle Creek for two Kellogg's in the cereal game. I so can imagine. The Michigan Supreme Court got involved in a case that would last a decade. Ugh. Both sides had legitimate arguments for why they should have the name. Because mm-hmm. like John Harvey was like, the cereal is my idea. But then Will was like, but I'm the one who's been making it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just like, who really has the rights to it? But in the end, um, this court sided with Will. And this would kind of be the end of any kind of relationship that he the, the two brothers had. Mm-hmm. Like both men in their 60s now and barely spoke to each other. Okay. So now it's kind of the rise of Will and the fall of John Harvey. Oh. Yeah. So Will finally started to see success after many years of thankless work for his brother and was spending his golden years well. He loved horses, so he bought some horses. He was mm-hmm. just kind of like living a comfortable life. Mm-hmm. John Harvey, on the other hand, were just things were getting worse and worse for him. He, as mentioned earlier, he was excommunicated by the church. He had no cereal money. His health was failing just by his five enemas a day. Mm-hmm. Um, it got to the point where he had to step away from the day-to-day at the sand because of his health issues. And the doctors that took over ditched his vegetarian menu. Mm. And then in 1933, he lost the sand completely. Okay. In this time, he had tried to reach out to his brother, usually under the guise of burying the hatchet, but actually just trying to get money out of him, which he never did. Mm-hmm. Will had even gone as far as helping the seven, was like attempting to help the Seventh Day Adventist in their unsuccessful attempt to buy back the sand. Oh wow! So he was like actively on the other side. Yeah, didn't happen, but like Pouring he was a little helping. Salt in that one. Yeah. So once John Harvey lost the sand, his sanity was next to go. Okay. He became obsessed with how odorless his stool was. And got in the habit of taking samples that he would then force the people around him to smell. No, 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 no. Yep. No. Yep. Oh, no. He's like, my poop doesn't smell. You want to smell? No. No. Never. He also took to exercising and going out in public in little more than a loincloth. That's a choice. Yeah. The brothers would only meet one last time in 1942 when John Harvey was asking for money for one last ditch effort to save the sand before the government bought it. Will was like, no, fucking no. Mm-hmm. And that was the last time they talked. John Harvey died later that year at the age of 91. Wow. Will would also go on to live to 91, dying a few years later. Oh, wow. That's odd. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of the Kellogg's family, at least, in the regards. I mean, there's more about the company, but yeah, we're not getting into that. It's not, but not, not this. Time. Yeah, just real quick, my sources, yeah. the book that a lot of this is based off of, uh, The Serial Killer Chronicles of Battle Creek, Serial, of course, spelled C. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by Gene Carpenter and Wikipedia. Fantastic. Right? That was well done. I that, What a... What a story, yeah. right? Kind of harkens back to the Dodge Brothers of just ridiculousness. Yeah. And two Except brothers. Except for they liked each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, they loved yeah. each other. And this yeah. was kind of like... Bitter rivalry between yeah. the brothers. No, that was interesting. Like crazy. I said, I've heard little bits of that. Like I knew it was brothers, and I knew there was like a debate. Yeah. Uh, but wow. 
Did not know about all the fires for sure. Oh my God. So many fires. So many fires. Don't, don't light fires. Right. Unless you're camping and there's a safe metal ring for you to do so. Right. And be real skeptical if someone says they're a prophet because they're mm. probably just looking for the other kind of prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you. That was great. No problem. Like I said, like I like found this book and like just like couldn't stop myself. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a actually I have a very short and quick. Uh, it's not even quite a, a two truths. And I have a three truths and a lie. OK. And basically it's a list of things and you have to tell me which is not in the top three. OK. So this is from a Mental Floss article, and it is about national parks with the most amount of missing cases over the past few decades. All right. Yes. I'm into it. This is kind of um, based on emergency situations, people missing, difficult terrain, uh, a lot of it on the missing people, though. Mm. Again, I'm just going to list four of them. Mm Mm-hmm. You tell me which one basically is not in the top three. Okay. So it is Yosemite National Park. Okay. Which is in California. Yeah. Grand Canyon National Park. Okay. In Arizona. Okay. Yellowstone National Park. Okay. Which is actually in three states, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho. Okay. And Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park in California. Ooh, okay. Move Grand Canyon. Uh, Grand Canyon's actually number one. Okay. Uh, I yeah. figured it was either number one or the lie because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a big old hole. Yeah, there fall in that hole. were 785 incidents reported at the end of the last decade in the Grand Canyon. Damn. Yeah. How about Yosemite this time? Yosemite's actually number two. Okay, I'm just guessing them in order. Yep. Mark. With 732 incidents between 2018 and 2020 alone. So now it's Sequoia King and Yellowstone? Yep. I'm going to Yellowstone. Is Yellowstone number three? Yellowstone's number four. Okay, so, so got I got it. it. Yeah, okay. You got it. Uh, which actually I was surprised by it because with all those geysers and all the like natural hot water that can kill you by touching it. I almost guessed Yellowstone first <laughs> because like it is kind of the most... For lack of Geologically a speaking. Oh, yeah. And it's very popular. So, like, maybe they just have, like, enough staff to, like, keep track of people. No. Okay. No. I mean, still I was, high. I was just there four. last summer. Yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I mean, it was still high. I mean, I, I made it a little yeah, tricky. Yeah. Um, no, the number four one was the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Park. Uh, awesome Northern California area. Yeah. And that one had about 503. Okay. Or 503 incidents. Yeah. With Yellowstone coming in around 371 incidents. Okay. And then um, I'll just read through the, the rest of the list because yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, number five being Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado. Number six being Zion. Number seven being Glen Canyon in Utah. Eight, Grand Teton in Wyoming. Nine, Olympic National in Washington. Ten, Arches in Utah. And then there's some more. <laughs> but I mean, like, here's the thing. It can be dangerous, but also you just have to have backup plans and, right, you know, go at safe times and safe groups and things like that. And I love the national parks. Oh, yeah. And I'm a big fan and I will go to all of them. <laughs> I want to go to some because like. Um, there's one like five hours away from here. In Ohio? Then. Um, Are there any Michigan? Because I know we have like a national shoreline, whatever the fuck that means, but like. 
no, Sleeping Bear Dunes. There we go. Is one. And then Indiana State Dunes, which is almost in Michigan. It's like right up. That's one. And then there is a national battlefield. Okay. Uh, in Monroe. Less river. exciting. Hmm? Less exciting. Yeah. It's still part of the national park system, but it's not a national park. There's like all these different types of. There's national parks and then there's national shorelines, which actually like the Indiana State Dunes one is a national shoreline. Yeah. Sleeping Bear Dunes might also be short, national shoreline. Um, yeah. Because pic- Pictured Rocks is like a national shoreline, I believe, as well. I don't know if that's a shoreline or park. I can't remember. Maybe actually. it's a park. I don't know. Yeah. There's different distinctions for each, too. And then we have the whole national forest system, which is also different, but the same. Hartwick Pines is national, right? I think. No, or no, no, it's not Hartwick Pines. It's um, there's like a pine forest though, right? I don't know. In the middle I of this lower peninsula. We have state forests in Michigan, but I don't know if we have national forests here. We might, I might be wrong. Let me look it up real quick. Manistee might be. Here on Manistee National Forest. That's the one I guess might actually yeah. be national forest. That's gorgeous up there. Yeah. But yeah, like uh, for the most part, we don't have a ton of national. <laughs> yeah, things oh in Michigan. yeah. I am always surprised that um, porcupines aren't porcupines. Porcupine mountains up in the UP. Oh, I've never heard of them. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like the only thing with the word mountains in it in Michigan. Fair. Yeah. We are kind of a flat state. We are a little flat. There's there's some. We're not as flat as like the flyover states, but we're kind of flat. We yeah. got lakes though. We got some flat. We got lakes. We got some curves though too. Right. Those geysers, the curves. The geysers. Those uh, glaciers left some ravines and stuff. And you some know. cool rocks. Yeah. So we got cool rocks. Cool rocks. <laughs> yeah. So be safe. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we are wrapped like a bag of cornflakes at this point. Absolutely. Like a bag of cornflakes. Fresh, no mold. Yep. Exactly. Only, yeah. only the freshest here. Only the freshest yeah. of cornflakes. I remember we toured the Kellogg facility when I was a kid. And like there was a machine where you could roll cornflakes. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) It was a long time ago. That's That's all I can remember about it. Yeah. Yeah. We went to a candy. No, we went to a chocolate factory. That's all I remember. Morley's? Yeah. I've been there too. Yeah, Morley's. Oh, that's some good chocolate. I don't remember what it tastes like, but sure. (laughs) Yeah. But if you want to find us on our social media... At Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook, and our email address, DetroitStrange at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support the show, subscribe, rate, review, send us an email. We'd love that. Yep. And there's also the Patreon, there's the Threadless, you know, all the things you do to oh, support yeah. shows. Yeah. But I think other than that. Until next time, stay, stay strange. strange. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast. Powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was recorded by Detroit's own Sax and Violence.